And there in Luke chapter 18, we will consider this morning verses 31 through 34. Let us stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. Then Jesus took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which are which were spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, as we come to thy word this morning, we would confess that oftentimes our ears are dull, our minds are sleepy, our eyes are droopy, and we would plead, O Lord, for thy mercies upon us that we would be attentive to thy word. We ask that by the work of thy spirit, you would come and apply this word to the hearts of thy people. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Many skeptics and movements have attempted to proclaim Christ, to portray Christ as created in their own image. Many, and even some today, would see Christ as a victim of hate. They would see Christ as a victim of prejudice or as a great man who came to liberate (coughs) mankind from oppression. You see this even in particular liberal churches where the bent toward liberation theology or the bent toward social justice always portrays a Christ that is different from what the gospel writers portray him. Contrary to the movement, he gets us. This is not the Christ of the scriptures. The Christ of the scriptures presents himself in the way that the Father from eternity past has ordained to declare him. We've seen in our study of Luke how Luke carefully and accurately records information. He verifies his sources. He didn't have the internet to just receive whatever sources out there, whether it's right or not. He had verifiable sources so that he could give us an historical account of all that is recorded here in Luke's gospel concerning Jesus Christ. Luke gives us 
a witness about Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. And the two parallel accounts to Luke 18.31 in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, you have three different gospel writers that testify to the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are eyewitnesses. They are those who testify to those things which the Lord Jesus Christ said. If you remember from last week, Peter says there in verse 28, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Peter had left all things. Those twelve had left all things in order to follow Jesus. Now Jesus turns their attention to the most important topic that he wants to address with his disciples. Jesus has come to this pivotal point, the pivotal point in the life of his ministry. He has healed the sick. He has cast out demons. He's raised the dead. He's performed all kinds of miracles. He has spoken parables. He's given accounts of of all kinds of wonderful things. And yet here between these two passages, the one in verse 28 and 29, and then the passage that we will look at next week, we see this small interlude, but an important one that shows us the importance of what Jesus came to do. And so as we deal with this fulfillment of all things in Christ from these few verses here this morning, we see, first of all, a prediction that Jesus makes. Many have attempted to make predictions, and some still are making predictions, but Jesus makes a prediction based on Old Testament prophecy and witnesses. And so, all things concerning Jesus have been accomplished. And so, I'm sure you'll find it interesting that your pastor has outlined the three Ps this morning. The prediction, the purpose, and the perception. And so we will look at the prediction that Jesus makes this morning. He gathers his twelve unto himself. They have just said, we've left everything. We have left all things and followed thee. And they had left all things. They had suffered for the cause of Christ. Jesus here is preparing them for the most important day in their life and ministry that will happen very soon. And so he takes unto him the twelve, that is, those apostles that he had called to himself, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Remember, even in the Old Testament prophets, they they use that word, Behold, behold. The virgin shall be with child. Behold, behold. And so when that word behold is used there, it's used to draw our attention to something very important. We go up to Jerusalem. There's two things here in verse 31 that are important to remember regarding this prediction. 
Jesus says we go up to Jerusalem. They're not going to Judea. They're not going anywhere else, but particularly they are going to Jerusalem. But notice the text says that we go up to Jerusalem. Oftentimes when you are going on a journey, you will generally go down. But here the text tells us they're going up to Jerusalem. There's two reasons I think that that's the, why this is the case. First of all, geographically, this is an incline. And so the disciples, as they advance with Jesus to Jerusalem, they're going up 3,400 feet in elevation. And so this is a very difficult thing. If you've ever been to Colorado, particularly in the mountains, and you, you feel like you, you can't catch your breath because of the high altitude, can you imagine Jesus with these 12 climbing 3,400 feet in elevation? This was rough terrain. This was not an easy journey. But there's something significant in that. It's a rough terrain But it's a way of suffering. It's the way that would lead to the agony of which Jesus speaks of here in this passage. But there's a second reason why he says we're going up to Jerusalem. Not only because it's a rough terrain, 3,400 feet in elevation. But because the culminating work of redemption and everything written about the Son of Man, will be fulfilled. It is in this holy city where the pilgrims are coming from all over for that Passover feast, where in that Passover feast, Jesus would accomplish all things. Now, it's interesting because all of the gospel writers, including John, which is not one of the synoptic gospels because it's different from the other three. But even in the gospel of John, you see this emphasis as Jesus is gathered there with his apostles in that upper room that last week before he is be betrayed. They are observing what the pilgrims are getting ready to do to go up for Passover. And it is in that Passover meal that Jesus accomplished all things. It is there in that holy city where they will gather for Passover that Jesus would bring to its final climax those things for which he speaks. Now in Matthew's account, in Mark's account, and here in Luke's account, this is the third time that Jesus tells his apostles about his death. Jesus predicted it in a number of ways. You see that over in Luke 9. Perhaps it would be helpful to go back to that because Luke 9 is where Jesus began that long journey to Jerusalem. But remember, they're not just walking toward Jerusalem. Okay, we'll be there in a few weeks or a few months. In that time, Jesus is healing the sick. In that time, he's speaking of the kingdom of God. In that time, he's speaking 
uh, to crowds of people who are hungry about the bread that will satisfy their souls. And as we see there, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter 9, verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. In verse 44, we see that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men. But as you come over to chapter 12 and verse 50, and we have seen these previously, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? And then in chapter 13, verses 32 through 33, we see Jesus telling the apostles, you go tell that fox, Herod, that I cast out devils, I do cures, and tomorrow and the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish, where? Out of Jerusalem. So Jesus went knowing full well where he was going. Jesus went fully to that task for which he was called to do. But three times, primarily, we see every time Jesus says, that he will be delivered and he will be scourged and he will be put to death and the third day he will rise again. The journey to Jerusalem that began in chapter 9 is now approaching its end. All that the Old Testament prophets wrote about him will be accomplished there in Jerusalem. And so he says, not only does he predict that they will go up to Jerusalem, that all things would be accomplished, but secondly, all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. All things will be accomplished. That word all things means that his agony, his deliverance, his sufferings, and his glory would be accomplished. And so each time Jesus predicts to his apostles that he would be delivered, that he would suffer, and that all of these things would be accomplished as the prophets foretold, indicate that the time had come, that the ministry of Jesus was beginning to close, and now we see the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus didn't come as a miracle worker. Jesus didn't come as a storyteller. I get so annoyed sometimes at some modern commentators that talk about telling the stories of Jesus. Yes, they're a story, but it's not just a story. It's an account of what Jesus taught. It's an account of what Jesus did. Because as our confession of faith reminds us, he is our prophet. 
who brings us the word of God. He is our priest who draws us unto himself. He is our king who rules over us. And so Jesus here is moving toward that final redemptive act on behalf of his people. Jesus did come for more than just to satisfy the curiosity of men, but he came to draw sinners unto himself. If you look back to chapter 9 of Luke, verse 51, and I think this is so important, and it comes out very clearly in this passage. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. He was moving toward the cross. We see as he's going up with his disciples to Jerusalem, that as he moves toward that final act, we see through the entirety of his life and his ministry, his resolute determination. It was prophesied to happen just as it said. We will go up to Jerusalem. All things written by the prophets. We'll see later at the end of Luke that all things written by the law, the prophets, and the writings speak of him. But here he says everything written by the prophets shall be accomplished. And so very clearly the Old Testament speaks through prophetic word of the prophecy and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes in the Lord's Supper, the uh, psalm that we sing before the administration of the Lord's Supper is something taken from Psalm 22 or Psalm 16. One of those messianic psalms that speak of the Son of God accomplishing what the prophets testified. Isaiah chapter 53 is a very clear text that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and those things that speak of Him. Christ accomplished His mission. His mission is the message of Scripture. The parables and the Signs and wonders and the mighty acts of the Lord Jesus Christ are simply the credentials that the Son of Man has to verify His ministry. No man today has those credentials. Only the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostolic witnesses had that to testify to the fact that He indeed is the Son of Man. And here again in our passage, as we have seen before, Luke emphasizes the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. That as the Son of Man, He is fully divine. That He has power over life and death. He will have power over death itself. For the grave will not hold Him. And so as the Son of Man, He accomplishes all that the Lord says Concerning him. And so here we find that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks prophetically 
of those things that are to take place. All these things would accomplish what the writers of the Old Testament spoke. Notice the truthfulness of what Jesus speaks. Notice the accuracy of those messianic predictions. All of this was determined by God's foreknowledge and predestinating purpose. That God in his providence orchestrated all the events that will come. That he orchestrated all of those things that shall surely come to pass. And so we can trust the truthfulness of God's word. We can believe that all that the Old Testament says about Christ is true. And so as we make that journey toward Jerusalem, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ had not only predicted that this would happen, but we see his purpose in all of this. And so as we come to our second point in verses 32 and 33, Jesus says his purpose in going to the city of Jerusalem is so that he might face the terrible intensities of his suffering. Notice what Luke says here in verse 32. He shall be delivered unto the Gentiles. Now as we think about that, what does it mean that he was delivered unto the Gentiles? Well, it is the Romans who tried the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll see this later. But Luke brings this out in his gospel for a reason. Because it is Judas Iscariot, in his betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ, that delivers him to the Gentiles. It is the scribes and Pharisees, in their denial of, of the prophecies of the Old Testament that deliver him to the Gentiles. And so they deliver him to the Gentiles so that he might be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and scourged and put to death and the third day he shall rise again. Previously, Jesus just simply says that the Son of Man will suffer many things will suffer and die. But here he's very emphatic about the intensity of the sufferings that he would face as he goes to Jerusalem. There is no modern depiction, and I am always the first to, to speak out against any movie that portrays the crucifixion of Christ, because none of it is in line with Scripture First of all, it's a violation of the second commandment, bearing an image of Christ. But particularly in some of these more movies in recent years depicting the cross of Christ, they want to show the intensity of the sufferings of Christ, but they bring things in that are not what the scriptures teach. But we want to see that even though Jesus speaks about being spitefully entreated and mocked and spit upon, he is showing the intensity of the rejection that he will face. 
This is the purpose of his going. We don't want to miss that. Well, well, now, why would he endure this? Because as the Son of God, he knew that this was his purpose and plan. Jesus did not deter himself from going. He knew he would be handed over to the Gentiles. He knew that he would be rejected by Judas and by the scribes and Pharisees. But in Luke's account of the gospel, he emphasizes the gospel to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. And so for him to say that he's delivered unto the Gentiles, and yet the Jews played a very important part in that, we show that the Lord Jesus Christ is rejected by both Jew and Gentile. That even the nations of the earth will reject him because of who he is. But as we think about the intensity of those things, that he would be ridiculed, that he would be abused, that he would be spit upon, that he would be flogged, that he would be put to death. But on the third day, he would rise again. In the parallel accounts in Matthew 20 and Mark 10, in the seven references to Jesus' sufferings in Luke, this is the most climactic one with the most detail. Notice the verbs that are used there. He shall be delivered. He shall be mocked. He shall be spitefully entreated. He shall be spit upon. They shall scourge him. They will put him to death. And when you think of the scourging that the Lord Jesus Christ received with the, with the whip that most likely had, had pieces of, of stone tied to them, tearing into his flesh, the agony that he went through, how he was spitefully entreated and spit upon. Jesus is telling with great detail to his apostles. He's given testimony to this in sacred, holy scripture. But we must never divorce these sufferings of which Luke speaks of in verses 32 and 33 from verse 31. These sufferings were predicted by Old Testament prophecy. These predictions indeed show that the Lord Jesus Christ would face agonizing suffering and death. If you turn over quickly to one of those prophecies in Isaiah chapter 50, Beginning in verse 4, Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Notice here that in the prophecy of Isaiah, it says of that suffering servant that he would not turn away. He would not turn back. He would not be a, as a rebellious man. Well, no, you can't do that. Some would say that Jesus had a divided 
human and divine nature within him that didn't want to go through with this. But the prophecy says that he neither turned away, he never deterred himself as a rebellious man, but he gave his back to the smiters. He gave himself to them. He allowed them to pluck off his beard and I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I don't know about you, but the intensity of someone standing there, of course, I'm Native American, so they wouldn't get much from my face, but to stand there and have someone literally pluck the hair off your face, And to be spit upon and ridiculed is more than I could endure. And it was more than Jesus could endure. Because remember, he is fully human in this experience. And yet, as one who is fully God, he was was enabled to endure what you and I could not endure. And so here we have a wonderful prophecy in all of his detail, that Jesus set his face like flint and he was not ashamed. Friends, that's wonderful consolation and comfort to us in our affliction, in our persecution, that Jesus never deterred himself. He was like flint and never was ashamed in that hour of betrayal. This is one of the servant psalms in Isaiah. Verse 42 and verse 1 is clear. Behold my servant, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He shall not fail or be discouraged, verse 4, Isaiah 42, till he have set judgment on the earth, and the isles will indeed be glad. Here it's clear that this servant, as a royal figure, as a king, will bring forth justice to the nations. Not the justice that we hear of today. Not this false kind of justice, but justice in the way of dealing with sin, in putting sin to death. And so he identifies as the servant of Israel. He is the one who gives himself for the, for the people. We see in, in Isaiah chapter 52, but particularly in Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most clearest passages in the book of Isaiah, referring to the sufferings and the agony of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for what? Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
There Isaiah is clear in verse 5. The stripes of Jesus do not provide physical healing for your bodies as some erroneously teach. The healing stripes of Jesus are to deal with the transgressions against the law of God. Are to deal with the bruising of sin so that God might bring peace to the soul who has turned away from him. The servant in verses 4 through 6 suffers as a substitute for sinners to bring them peace. The only way to peace, friends, is through the reconciliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can bring the terms of peace to those who are alienated from God. But then the passage speaks the fact that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh, here we see the wonder of of God's mercy and grace that an unjust, perfect man is bruised and God was pleased for it. He gave his soul as an offering for sin. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law of God under the old covenant as he became the sin offering as He became the peace offering, as He became the guilt offering, He gave His life as a ransom for many. And it says, He would see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. And He will justify many and shall bear their iniquities. The Lord Jesus Christ indeed fulfills all of those prophecies of the Lord Jesus of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as our thoughts turn to this word that he is giving to the apostles. He says he will be mocked and spitefully entreated. And the third day he shall rise again. This is not a mere mortal man that endured this. This is the Son of God. This is the one who took on human flesh. Jesus, from the moment of his conception, speaks about accomplishing all things for the salvation of his people. And as Jesus rose again on the third day, he testifies to the fact that he is one who has conquered sin and death and the grave, and that he indeed fulfills all that the scriptures say concerning him. Yes, it was predicted. It was his purpose to bear suffering on behalf of his people. Christ here with his, with his apostles, is preparing them for his work of humiliation. Not only is he preparing them for his work of humiliation, but he is assuring them of his victory. Because if Peter is right in his testimony, we have given up all things, we have left all things for the kingdom of God. They're going to face many trials and tribulations. But he assures them that he will be with them, that he will prepare them 
but he assures them of the victory. Christ foresaw these things. Christ willingly went. And we see his human and divine nature at work. His human nature in the weakness of dying. His divine nature in being raised to life. Jesus contemplates the future. We see his suffering. We see the satisfaction of all that he accomplished. And we see the triumphal work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he faced death. But we come to the final point, and that is the perception. It is the perception of the disciples or the twelve that Jesus focuses on here. As he said these things in great detail, they understood none of these things. Now there's a couple reasons why they didn't understand what Jesus is saying. It's not that they didn't understand the words or the concepts or that somehow they were just too dense to see it. But first of all, they did not understand it because in some sense they still had that view of Christ as somehow different from what he says. Even Peter, on that occasion when he says, some say that you're one of the prophets, some say you're a great teacher, but Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But yet, even then, Peter did not fully understand. That's why Jesus, after he has trained them, has taught them what it is to be disciples and to follow him, then he begins to show them in more detail what Christ would fulfill and what his purpose would be. And they understood none of these things. They are still blind like many of us still blind to the things of the kingdom. But there's a second reason, and, and Luke bears this out more clearly than Matthew and Mark. This saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things that were spoken. They didn't know what he was talking about because it was hid from them. The Lord in his providence does not reveal to them all at once all that they needed to understand. It wouldn't be until after his resurrection that they would fully understand all that Jesus says. They could not fully comprehend it. It would be like trying to tell somebody everything all at once and their mind just can't absorb it and Jesus didn't want their minds to be confused and so he just gave them what they needed to know it's not really hard to understand but it was for them Jesus spoke plainly Perhaps they were wrapped up in their own weakness. Perhaps they, like many of us, are blind. 
But in Luke chapter 9, verses 43 through 45, it speaks of the fact that these things are concealed or hidden. Now it says that this saying was hid from them. But we see the blindness of the twelve, and it is the blindness of the twelve that prepares us for this blind man in verses 35 through 43. The disciples were blind. But the nation has become blinded because of sin. And a man born blind testifies to the fact that only Christ can give us eyes to see. And that is the case here in our passage. That they were blind to the things of God that they didn't fully see. And the question is this morning, even though you know all the things written in the Gospels, even though you know all the details, even though you know all the confessional questions concerning the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, do you really understand who He is? Because that calls us to action. That calls us to consider that Jesus is indeed the suffering servant. That he is the son of God who has become man. And for us simply to just rest in our our churchianity, for us just to simply rest in being comfortable with where we are spiritually, really doesn't answer the question. Because if Jesus is all that he says, then it's necessary for us to repent and to believe the gospel and to walk in obedience to his commands. That's what he's been doing with his disciples. Teaching them about prayer, teaching them about humility, teaching them about service, teaching them about suffering for the cause of Christ. Because as they will later find out, they will suffer for the cause of Christ. And so if we really understand who Jesus is, it means that when we face ridicule, when we face suffering, when we face agony, because we are identified with Christ, then we will indeed be able to say with Peter, we have left all and followed thee. Have you left all? And followed Christ? Do you see who this Christ is? That he indeed is the Son of God. Who has taken on human flesh. That he might bear the sins of many. Close with that wonderful passage from Hebrews 10.7. Then said I, Lo, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. He is citing Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, that speaks of Christ. That it is Christ who came to do the will of God perfectly. Are we willing to follow in the train of our Savior, to imitate His example of obedience? 
Are we willing to suffer all things for the cause of Christ? Or will, are we willing to go and bear the reproach that Christ bore, not for our salvation, but because we, as His servants, are called to suffer? There are many things in this passage of Scripture, but those disciples were not just left there like, okay, here's another message from Jesus. There was a sense in which they were just like, oh, what what does this mean? And suddenly the light comes on later in chapter 24. And so don't miss here in these few verses sandwiched between everything else in Luke's account. Don't miss the important point that Jesus came to bear your sin, to bear your guilt so that you will not bear it. And He stands before you to give you the hope and the confidence of the gospel. Nothing you face, no obstacle can deter you And so with hope and confidence, we rest in His obedience even unto our own death. And so let us go forth with joy, knowing that all things have been accomplished in Christ and that we are victorious even now and we will have full victory when Christ returns at the end of the age. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give all glory, honor, and praise unto Thee. For You have indeed bore the humiliation of all that was done to You. But we also see Your exaltation as You were raised up from death. Lord, we pray that we would not go away from this text just familiar with another account but that we would go away asking that question, who is this Jesus and why must I follow him? And we pray that you would impress upon our mind these things, that we would see the wonderful work that you have accomplished on behalf of your elect. And we pray this in your most holy and gracious name. Amen. We are going to conclude this morning with Psalm 21i, the end of that psalm, all ends of earth, remembering Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm